so um, somehow, so this quarter we've been studying the book of Colossians, um, and somehow on this day of all days, I got assigned Colossians 3.18, um, which if you have a Bible, you could look it up really fast, or I can just tell you. I'll just read it to you. It says this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uncomfortable, right? A little uncomfortable. So um, let this, uh, let me tell you something that actually that's true. I wasn't just assigned that one verse to preach about. Um, I hope that that will be a small lesson to you about the uncomfortableness of just taking one verse out of the Bible and reading it by itself out of context. I heard my whole life that you're not supposed to take the Bible out of context because my family was Christian. They, they taught us the Bible very seriously, my family. But I, for a while, I kind of thought that was a cop-out. Like, you know, if you read something difficult, people would just say, oh, you have to read it in context. And I thought that meant, uh, I'm uncomfortable with what it says, so let's try and explain it away in some way. Um, but then I majored in linguistics, obviously, everyone knows that. Um, and I changed my mind. And sick of students, you already heard about this, so just bear with me. But uh, let me give you an example of, of the importance of reading, the, reading something in context. This is something outside the Bible. So if I say, I've cleared the table... That sounds like a pretty straightforward sentence, right? I've, you, you all know what I mean when I say I've cleared the table. It means I took the dishes off the table, right? But now do a little exercise with me, okay? So I want, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to respond by saying I've cleared the table. Simple enough, right? You all know your line? Yes? Yeah? Okay. Okay. So I come in and I say, so have you cleared the table and washed the dishes? I've cleared the table. So what, are, what did you mean by that? You really meant I did not do the dishes, is what you meant. So I've cleared the table can actually mean I have not done the dishes, right? Okay, now imagine this. I come running in. It's harder with this mic. Um, I come running in and I say, am I late for dinner? And you say, oh, wait, so what you mean is what? You're late for dinner. You're not getting any food. So I've cleared the table can mean you're not getting any food, or it can mean I haven't done the dishes, or it could just mean I've cleared the table, right? That is the power of context, reading something in context. <laughs> Shannon Roberts, thank you. Um, so if we want to understand what in the world did Paul mean by wives submit yourselves to your husbands, we have to re remember all the things that we've learned about the Colossians so far and read this verse in context to try and understand what on earth is he talking about. So let's begin with review. What do we know about the Colossians so far from this quarter? We know that they were young in their faith, um, and so they were just learning what it means to follow Jesus. We know that the culture around them devalued Christ and said he's just one spiritual option of many, He's not any different from anything else. And so Paul is trying to show them the uniqueness of Jesus. And we know that Paul wrote this letter to teach them what it means to grow up, to mature in Christ, grow up in their faith. So um, what I'm basically going to do is kind of walk you through what my process was as I sat down and 
read this very strange and uncomfortable verse and tried to learn what it meant in context. So we'll have fun with that. Um, So let's read, first of all, the whole passage that I was assigned to preach on, not just the one verse, and see if that is helpful for us. So we're going to start in Colossians 3, 15, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 6. So, um, and I think it should be up on the screen. Perfect. So here we go. It says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity, and let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, I found it helpful to read the whole section, but really the sections that we break up Colossians into for the sake of sermons are fairly arbitrary. Paul actually wrote it as a whole letter, not as a sermon series. Um, And so I also want to remind us something that Josh talked about last week here. And it's a phrase from the beginning of chapter 3 of Colossians. And this phrase really helped me unlock what Paul was trying to say through this whole passage. So Paul said at the beginning of chapter 3, For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Reading in context means that we read the whole passage in light of this phrase, for you died. Paul is going to take this idea that we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ into our real life. These verses are, our section tonight is where Paul gets very practical. So tonight's passage I found to be incredibly radical and incredibly ordinary at the same time. It's radical because we live in a culture that says, you are the most important thing ever, you individually. But Paul says, you are not what's important. You died. (laughs) You died and your life is hidden with Christ. It's a radical statement for our culture, I think. But it's also very ordinary. I think sometimes in the, in the language of revolution and the kingdom of God and 
overthrowing evil and, and setting the world right, we, we can miss the normal aspect of life in Christ. That the new life that we have in Jesus is going to be found in our ordinary, everyday actions towards the people around us. That this will permeate every relationship in our lives. So, Paul is going to explain how that works. And we'll begin with our relationships in Jesus' community, in, this, in our community here, because that's where Paul begins. Makes sense. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it because we talk about this a lot, about what it means to be a community, but it does help us paint the picture of the rest of what Paul is going to say. So um, you can, we put up the, the first three verses on the slide, and we'll, and we'll just look at those. So Paul says that when we enter into new life in Christ, it affects the way we interact with our community. It affects how we gather when we start to mature in Christ. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly is a different statement than let the message of Christ come to you from Jonathan and the other pastors in your community. Do you see the difference? Let the message of Christ dwell among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul says Jesus' community is a participatory community. And when we gather, we have to remember that as individuals, we have died, and our lives are in Christ. When We come second to what Christ has for us. Two weeks ago, here on Friday night, there was sort of this spontaneous stream of people that came down to to seek God in prayer. And in a way, they had to die to themselves, I think. Um, And actually, I shouldn't say they, I should say we, because I was here too, praying. Um, We had to die to pride and to an unwillingness to look broken or not look okay to people around us. So if you ever come to CCF broken, there's a way for you to die to yourself too. Um, but but what the best part was that I saw was the second stream of people that came down to the front and just started putting their hands on people and just praying and being together in community, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and singing together. It wasn't just professionals who prayed. It was just ordinary people. Many of you were doing this. This is an ordinary work, but it's it's dying to self. It's giving up our rights to sing our favorite songs or do what we want to do on Friday night. And that's what it means to mature in Christ, in community. I think we do that really well. Many of, many of you do that really well. So I just wanted to tell you that. As, as I read this passage, that's what I thought of. One of my great hopes for your life is that you will leave CCF because I hope you graduate. Um, <laughs> My hope is that you will leave CCF and you will join or you will create communities in the world where people participate when they gather. I hope that you will graduate and not look for the best Sunday morning show, but the community where people die to themselves when they get together and live for each other. So this is part of what it means to mature in Christ. It means we participate when we gather. But life, you may have noticed, is not a religious event. Um, Yes, we gather together, but we also eat dinner and get married, you know, and go hiking and sleep 
and make friends and go to class and go to work. And none of these are Christian activities. Everybody does these things, right? But Paul says, as we go on, being in Christ, dying to self, ends up touching these very non-religious activities that we do. So Paul moves from the community gathered into our homes. And you'll notice that a household at that time looked a bit different from yours. Um, But Paul basically says, when you are hidden in Christ, when you have died to yourself, let me give you a picture of your new household, what it looks like to be a mature household in Christ. So he gives these instructions to wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves, and masters, which may look different from your roommate situation, potentially. Um, so you can throw the next few verses up on the, on the screen. And the first thing I noticed when I started reading these verses in context was that Paul covered every single person in the household. In a typical household in this culture, you were either a wife or a husband, a child or a parent, a slave or a master, maybe a couple of those things. Ev- but no one would be excluded in those categories. Everybody would be covered. And every single person in this passage is being called to yield to someone else. Which to us seems only fair, right? Like if you're going to make a rule for someone, it has to be for everyone, right? So I want to pause for a moment and just reflect on that. Do you know why that seems so normal to us? Why it seems like obvious and fair that Paul would address this to everyone? In a large part, it seems normal to us because of this passage. That's the crazy thing. This letter that Paul wrote in a small way started to shake history. When Paul wrote this, people would have thought, well, that's different. Because they would have never seen these kinds of household instructions that included responsibilities for husbands, parents, and masters. Never happened. Totally not normal that everyone would be addressed. Of course, wives and children and slaves would have responsibilities, but not the others. So by making all of this yielding and dying to ourselves reciprocal for every single person in the household... Paul began to reshape marriage and reshape parenthood and reshape the institution of slavery in their culture to the point where now we find it unthinkable to only address wives or that children wouldn't have rights or that you could own another person as your property. We still have a long way to go in these areas in real life, but, we, but our thinking is that that's unthinkable, that you, would, that you wouldn't be fair about this. So before we start putting off Paul, which I've heard people do as backwards and insensitive for saying these things, we should probably thank him for sowing the seeds of justice for women and children and slaves by making these things reciprocal. But there's still that darn word, submit. (laughs) Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So in light of this whole letter, what on earth does Paul mean by submit? I've often heard this verse interpreted this way. For a wife to submit to her husband means that when you come to an impasse where you can't agree about something, that the husband is sort of the tie-breaking vote. Um, But I've come to believe that that isn't really what Paul meant. And, And I'll kind of explain why. Those kinds of interpretations that say it means this one thing, I find that 
they're a little bit too narrow, taking one way that it might play out and just assuming that's what Paul meant based on kind of the way modern marriage works, which wasn't really how it worked at the time. If that's all Paul meant, why wouldn't he just say it that way? So if that's the way you've thought about this passage, I encourage you to come a little deeper with me as, as we go on. On the other hand, I think some of you may have been skipping this passage your whole life because you're afraid that if you find out what it means, you might have to do what it says, and that would not be pleasant. Um, and you're hoping that I'm going to say, it's not really true. Wives don't have to submit to their husbands. But I'm not going to say that because, as you'll see, that would rob you of a liberating truth. Why don't we like the word submit? I don't like it myself. There you go. Um, I don't like it because it has connotations of being inferior. Uh, I feel like it has connotations of being a doormat or being passive or weak or unable to lead, those kinds of things. I don't like it because of the term for total humiliation and ultimate fighting, I hear. Um, believe it or not, I learned that from Ramona Anderson because she gave this sermon four years ago. Um, but I know that can't be what Paul meant. Um, and here's how I know, and this is how I'm going to walk you through my process. Um, I look at other ways that Paul uses this word. And you, we can, there's a slide about this. What, is, what does submission mean? Because... I know that um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus submitted or subjected himself to his Father's will. Now, is Jesus incapable of leadership? I really hope not, because I devoted my life to following him. (laughs) So I hope that's not what it means. In Ephesians 5... Paul says all Christians are called to submit themselves to one another. So are all of us inferior to everyone else? It starts to be illogical because if we're all inferior, nobody is, right? It doesn't make sense. So that can't be what it means. It's impossible. So I look at the original Greek. And as best we can tell, submit, the way Paul used it, it had two meanings. You could use it in a military sense, which is not this context, Or in a non-military sense, it meant yielding my rights, yielding my wants for someone else. It meant a voluntary, that's key, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating. It can mean assuming responsibility and carrying a burden for someone else. Submission, the way Paul uses it, is a gracious invitation to let go of control. uh, to let go of grasping for control. In relationships, we really like to be in control, right? So submission is a gracious invitation to let go of that and to bear other people's burdens. Submission is not also, it's not a fine, do it your way, it's your funeral, but I'll submit, you know. It's not reluctant. The connotation in the original language is joyful somehow, even... um, cooperative and joyful it's a radical way of dying to yourself though it says i will give up my rights and my wants for someone else so everyone's called to it and then paul says in particular wives act this way towards your husbands so that's submission that's what submission is what about what is love the age-old question 
What is love? Since that's what husbands were called to. The word that Paul uses for love is not just romantic love. I know this because it's the same word used for love your neighbor. It's the same word used for God so loved the world. And it's the same word that used of Pharisees who love the most important seat where everybody can see them. Not very romantic. Um, So again, I looked at other ways. How else does Paul use this word love? In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, love is not self-seeking. In Galatians 2.20, it says, Jesus loved us, which means Jesus gave himself for us. He yielded his rights and his wants for someone else, us. And I look at Jesus' command to all of us in John 15, 12 and 13. He says, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I look at Jesus' example in John chapter 13, knowing, knowing that he was going to be betrayed and killed the next day, I probably at that point would have gathered my friends around me and said, would you pray for me? And could somebody wash my feet because nobody did that? But instead, it says he showed them the full extent of his love. Same word. He took the lower position. He got up from the table. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed their feet. He took the weaker position voluntarily, joyfully, and the Bible calls that love. It also says that he was immersed in his father's love. It says he knew who he was and that his father loved him. So when I started to ask, how do we submit and how do we love? And I remembered, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is in us, and we have died with him and been raised with him. And if our life is in him, we can love and submit like him. If we've been given the life of Christ, it makes this life that Paul's talking about possible for us. So we're all called to this life. If we look at the rest of the Bible, we're all called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're all called to love one another as I have loved you. So why does Paul pick on wives and husbands? If it's a command for everyone, why wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters? That was my next question. And I think it's because of this. In those household relationships, the people you see every single day, that is where we find the test of our maturity in Christ. Last week, Josh called all of us to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Liz and I had those verses read at our wedding five years ago. And oh, how little we knew of what we were saying When Paul calls all believers to put those on, um, he, though he himself was not married, somehow he knew that in marriage that would be the most difficult relationship to do that. There is nothing quite like committing your life to someone forever and then living with them. You can't go home when you're annoyed because you are home. You may have found this somewhat with a roommate, but you haven't made a lifelong commitment to your roommate. 
What I'm about to say may seem silly, but you're not allowed to mock me unless you've been married for five years or more, okay? In our marriage, Liz has yielded her bedtime to me because I, the way our schedules work, I have to get up earlier than she does. And so I asked her, could you please get ready for bed earlier than you have to so, because it wakes me up when you come in and get ready for bed when I'm already sleeping. This sounds like a trifle, right? Like no big deal for her to yield this to me. But this is a submission. This is a voluntary bearing of my burden every night for the rest of her life. <laughs> it is not a small thing to sacrifice even a small thing for the rest of your life. Only in the permanent relationships of a household do you have to make those kinds of permanent submissions and yieldings of your rights and desires for someone else. So meanwhile, what does it mean for me to love her? Most of us do not enjoy cleaning the bathroom, right? Most of us. Um, But when we die to self and our lives are hidden in Christ, we stop saying, this is my right. Neither of us wants to clean the bathroom, so you do it. And we start getting up and wrapping a towel around our waist and washing the feet of our spouse or washing the sink and toilet of our spouse, in this case, (laughs) every week for the rest of my life. It's an ordinary thing. It's not a huge deal. But it's a test of my maturity in Christ. Will I do this? Will I yield what I want because of Christ? That's what love is. I die to myself. That's what it means to mature. So most of you in this room are not married. Many of you will be someday. And our culture says, if you're not happy with your marriage, get out. Why would you stay if you're not happy? Marriage should make you happy. But the truth is, you won't survive in marriage if you don't learn how to yield your wants and your rights for someone else in normal stuff. Happy anniversary. (laughs) 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 and i hope i don't make marriage sound like it's no fun at all because it is but it's also this is real life this is real life so i've only scratched the surface of submission and love in marriage and there's no way we have time to cover children and parents slaves and masters how are we going to talk about all this for now just know that all of them in this passage are called to give up to die to self for the sake of the other There's a lot that's confusing in this passage, okay? And so if you want to talk more about it, please come and talk with me afterward. I'm going to go sit up there, and if you think, I'm still confused, I'm still frustrated by this passage, especially wives and children and slaves and this part, just come and talk to me. Don't leave confused, okay? Come and we'll talk. But what about now? Or what if you never do get married? I want you to still die to yourself for the sake of those who are in your life every day. This might mean roommates or coworkers or family members. And you know what encourages me? What encourages me is when I hear people here in this community saying, my roommate had a hard week. What could I do to carry their burden for them? Not what could my roommate do to bless me, but how could I bless my roommate? Because that's what it means to mature in Christ. Or when someone says, next year at Western, I'm going to be a returner. And I have certain rights during opening week because I'm not new anymore. 
so I can hang out with the people I want to hang out with and see all my friends and go to the places I want to go. But I'm going to yield that right because I want to care about the people that are new coming to Western. When I hear that, when I hear students say that I've died and my life is hidden with Christ and I give up my opening week for someone else, I get encouraged for two reasons. One, I see healthy marriages in the future of people in this room. And that's part of where the kingdom comes because that shapes a whole next generation in our country is the marriages that will come out of this room. But I also get excited because even if you don't get married, it still means people are maturing in Christ. And hopefully you notice that all of us are called to this life, married or single. So what does it mean to mature in Christ? That's a question we've been asking all quarter. Maturity means real life yielding of self to the people you see every day. Maturity isn't really seen in the grand big decisions. It's seen in whether you will yield your rights and desires for your husband, your wife, your child, your parent, your slave, your master, maybe your roommate, your professor, that person in your core, your classmate, your neighbor, maybe the person sitting next to you right now. So tonight is not going to be a night for grand sacrifices. We have other nights where we do that. But tonight is a night for ordinary sacrifices. What do you think the Lord would say to you out of this passage about your ordinary, everyday giving up your life for others? Hopefully you've noticed I've tried to include some examples of ways that I'm encouraged. Uh, As I prayed and thought this week about what I would say, I realized how many of us already get it. You've internalized Paul's message to the Colossians. Maybe you didn't even know that you did, but you did. And it may be that God would simply say to you, don't give up. I see how you die to yourself every day for this person. I notice your ordinary yielding of yourself. So keep up the good work. Don't stop. You may feel like you need strength to keep it up. Dying to yourself isn't easy. That's why it's called dying to yourself. It's significant sacrifice when Paul says, for you died. Even the ordinary life in Christ requires a great deal of us. So tonight, you might just need to pray that God will help you see it through, that you won't stop dying to yourself because it's been hard for you to give up yourself. And he'll meet you there. Jesus knows the difficulty that you're going through. He's lived it. For others of you, though, God may bring a person to your mind that you need to give up your rights or your desires for, a very ordinary thing. Maybe someone that you won't submit to or love sacrificially. Maybe you just haven't thought about it before with that person because it's so ordinary, right? You're ready maybe to make big sacrifices for God, but not the little stuff in your life. Or maybe that person is so difficult that it seems impossible for you to sacrifice for them. Maybe you know who I'm talking talking about. Um, Or there may be something that you're unwilling to yield to someone else, some right that you hold on to so tightly that you can't imagine letting go of that for others. And I just mean normal stuff like sleep and food and, you know, money, that kind of stuff. That's just hard to let go of. We hold stuff so tightly sometimes, and God may be saying to you, just yield that for someone else. This is an invitation for you to let go of that. So Paul finishes this section with this, and this is how we'll close, and worship team, you can come 
back up. The last part of the passage, Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. So before we think that Paul sort of gave us these instructions from on high and didn't know how difficult it would be to ask this, notice Paul's prayer request. Paul lived this life of dying to self. He doesn't say, pray for us too, that I will go free from my arrest. He says, pray that God will open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is the driving force of Paul's life. He gave up everything for Christ. He died, and his life was hidden in Christ. So I'm going to pray for you now. Not that God would bless you, but that God would bless others through the sacrifices, the everyday sacrifices of each person in this room. So I'm going to pray for us. Lord, um, I just am so thankful for your nearness and that you have experienced the human experience. Jesus, I am so thankful that you know what it means to give up yourself for us. And so that when, when you call us to let go of things, ordinary things for each other, um, Lord, I'm just thankful that you're, you're asking something that you paved the way for and that when we put our lives in you, you, you enable us to live this kind of ordinary sacrificial life. Thank you for living this way towards us, Lord. Would you show us, would you show us how to love the way that you've loved us? Show us how to surrender our rights, our desires, for others in everyday ways, Lord. And for those who are tired, who have been doing this, Lord, strengthen their hearts with the knowledge that you walk with them and pave the way. Because of you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.